I want you to look up on the screen and see if you can figure out what these pictures have to do with each other. There's a lot of different things up there. Dr. Phil, Oprah, a doctor, horoscope, a couple of gals sharing a conversation over coffee, a palm reader. What do these people have to do in common with each other, these pictures? It, it, maybe you're not getting it yet, so let me, let me add one more. I think this will maybe unlock it for you. Now, now do you get it? Do you get it? These are things or people that we go to for what? For help, for advice, for counsel. And there's all kinds of stuff we need counselors for, right? Man, if we're having financial difficulty, we want to find a financial counselor. We want to know where to invest our money. That, that'd be good, too. We got medical issues. We want to go see a medical counselor, a doctor. We got legal problems. We want to get legal counsel. We got personal problems, interpersonal problems. We're dealing with hard things like the loss of someone who's close to us or loss of a job. We, we need a counselor. Well, what are you looking for when you look for someone like that? If you're like me, I'm looking for someone who's good. I, I want someone who's trained, someone who's experienced. It'd be really nice if they're kind, but I'd rather have them be good and experienced. I, I want someone who will, who will give me the truth straight out. Even if I don't want to hear it, but it's the stuff I need to hear to be able to address the issues in my life. I want someone who's got a proven track record that in this area, they've helped a lot of people. That's what I'm looking for. Well, today, we're going to start a four-week series. And for the kids that are here, it's like each week we get to open up another Christmas present. And it all comes out of God's promise made a long, long time ago to the prophet Isaiah and through him to us. And it's the, pro- it's the promise of Jesus, who today we're going to find out is called the Wonderful Counselor. He is, as that last slide of the song before us said, the indescribable gift of God. The gift that goes beyond our wildest imagination. He's our Wonderful Counselor. We're going to dig into that and figure out what does that all mean for us today. A little word about the background. Background for our study that's going to be centered in on Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 9, verse 6. Well, the background for the promise is this. It's written in the 8th century B.C. to the people that are living in that southern kingdom. Remember, it was called the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was the capital. And the motif that we have is it's a motif of darkness. It was hard times. It wasn't a good time to be alive. And there was darkness because there was moral failure within God's people. Remember those prophets? They were the prosecutors that God brought to his people to tell them and remind them, hey, you're not loving me anymore. You've broken my commands and and you're not loving each other like I called you to. And that's exactly what's going on in this dark period. There's idolatry and their materialism leads to injustice. They're taking advantage of the weak and the oppressed in their land, in their day. There wasn't just moral failure of the people, which brought darkness. That was just endemic of the fact that their leaders, especially King Ahaz, was not a good man. There was, there was deterioration in the leadership as well. That's why it was dark times. Ahaz, let me tell you about Ahaz. He had a godly father, Jotham. He had a godly grandfather, Uzziah. But Ahaz turned to wicked ways. What did he do? Right away, he started building altars to these foreign gods. Not only that, he sacrificed his own son 
to one of those gods, Moloch, and had him burned in the fires. He was a god, he was a king that had new room for God. In fact, it was seen when he closed down the temple and took out all the furnishings from the temple, basically shut down the religious worship of God in his day. And what he did is he imported an altar from Damascus, took the plans and had his priests build a replica right there in Jerusalem so that he could offer sacrifices on the same altar that that strong king that had defeated him had been offering his sacrifices to. And when it came to looking for help and guidance, was he going to God, the wonderful counselor? No way. He was looking to man to help him out. He was running to Assyria to help him out with the problems that surrounded him. Not only was it dark because of the moral failure within God's people and the leaders, but it was a dark time because God's hand of judgment was on the people. And in Ahaz's day, so harsh was God's judgment that in one day, God sent the king from the north, from the northern ten tribes, who was in allegiance with the Syrian king. And they swooped down and in one day killed 120,000 of Israelite soldiers. It was tough times. It was dark times. But you know, it was just in the midst of that darkness that the, that, that would be the beautiful foil, kind of like the cloth that a jeweler will have be the background for his precious stone to bring out the brilliance of it. These dark times were the perfect backdrop for the beauty of God's bright promise that he gives to Isaiah and Isaiah's people way back there 800 years before Christ was even born. Now I want you to go in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to Read starting at verse 21, just the very last part of chapter 8 to kind of get us a feel for these dark times and read through chapter 9, verse 7. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the rack under the seat in front of you and you can find on page 489. And I want you to kind of get the sense of all the things that are contrasted here in this passage. So we begin in verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished. They will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want you to notice the things that are contrasted here. Obviously, there's this major contrast of deep darkness and a great light, a great light that would even eclipse the shadow of death. That's, that's an obvious one. But there's also the, the contrast between the famished, angry follower of God who's shaking his fist at God to God's people who are dancing like there's just been this unbelievable harvest or un- incredible victory. There's that gloom and there's that joy. There's that war and there's peace. There's, there's bondage and slavery and there's deliverance and freedom. There's a people that were humbled, like those two tribes in the north, Naphtali and Zebulun. And then that same place where Galilee is, is honored. All these contrasts. And what's amazing is you start digging into this promise is you realize when you start chasing around, okay, why, why did things turn to good? Why did the bright light come, this light of promise? Did they do something that merited this kind of response from God? And you start chasing it through and you're looking for the people repenting to God and turning back to God, burning their idols or things like that, and you can't find it. The context here is the people are mad at God for the things that are bad in their life that they brought on by themselves by disregarding God and rebelling against them. In the midst of that, God in his grace gives them a promise. So I wonder if there's anybody here going, wow, I can relate to that. I've kind of been hacked off at God this week. Right now, my life stinks. And quite frankly, I think he's got a lot to do with it. So my fist has been up this week. Yeah, I can relate to this. I mean, everybody's into Christmas. I'm not into Christmas. It's not bright lights and joy for me. This is the worst time of the year. I hate this time of year. It's distressful. It's gloom and doom for me. Maybe you say, hey, I'm looking for freedom. Yeah, that's me. I'm looking for peace. Well, hey, Stay tuned. Isaiah's got a good word for you. And as we go through the text, here's going to be our course. We're going to ask three questions. The first one is, who is the promise for? And it it happens in verse 1. So, who's the promise for? The second question is going to be this. What are the benefits of this promise? That's verses 2 through 5. And then verses 6 and 7 give us what's promised exactly, or as we know, who's promised that's going to bring these benefits. So, the first question. Who's this promise for? We'll go back to verse 1. Verse 1 will tell us who's it for. We remember this is a prophecy written to God's people who lived in Judah, the southern kingdom. But we read in verse 1 that it's also a prophecy that's for the tribes in the north, for God's people who lived up there, Naphtali and Zebulun. But we find out it's not just for them. It's actually going to be for Galilee of the Gentiles. That is, it's going to be for all people. That's good news for us. We're not like reading this historical document that go, well, this is a really great thing that God did for those people back then. And I don't live back then. And and number two, I'm not one of them. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. Remember what happened when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the temple? They're going to offer and dedicate him to the Lord. Well, Simeon, this man who's been waiting for the promised Savior, has a tug of the Spirit in his life to say, that's the one. 
And he takes this baby in his arms. And you know what he does? He says this prophetically. This baby is the light for the Gentiles. This is a promise for all of us today. This is for us. Now let's look at the benefits. What are the benefits? We'll go, go down and look at verse 2. The first benefit is light. It's this great contrast going on in this passage. The first benefit here is light. And, and you notice how the prophet's speaking. We talked about this in our series this past fall. We talked about when the prophets talked about the future, they talked about it as if it had already happened because it was so sure. So when he says they have seen a great light in verse 2, he's actually saying it's going to happen. They're going to see this great light. This light is Christ who shines and comes on the scene. Okay, so what is this light? And what is this metaphor of light? Well, there's two things to think about. Light gives life and light gives guidance. So what does it say of the word itself in Psalm 119, verse 105? Your word is a lamp under my feet and it's a light to my path. It guides me. It shows me the way to go. So here we have the first benefit. This promise is going to bring guidance. Oh, that's good. I need guidance. I need wisdom that will guide me in life. That's the first benefit. The second one then is found in verse 3. And it's the benefit of joy. This joy is a result of God enlarging the nation. Well, this was good news for a people who've just buried 120,000 of their sons and fathers. That God is going to enlarge the nation. Hey, that's what he promised back to to Abraham, right? I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. The sands of the sea, the stars of the sky will compare to your nation. So great it'll be you can't even count it. Ah, God's doing this. He's doing it. And the result is there's joy. There's joy. And why is there joy? Because verse 4 says there's victory. It'll be like in the day of Midian's defeat. What was that day? Well, you go back to Judges chapter 6 and following, you find out, well, that was the day when God said to Gideon, hey, Gideon, you're my man. And I'm raising you up to free my people from the Midianites. And Gideon's hiding out in the threshing floor in fear, and God chooses another least likely. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Go get some soldiers. He does. He says, that's too many. Get rid of some. Tell those who don't want to fight, go home. They went home. You still got too many. He got it down to 300. And he said, here's what you need. You need a trumpet, you need a clay pot, and you need a torch. Really, God? That's what you want us to to get after the Midianites? That's what I want you to do. Because I don't want anybody to miss who's going to bring you victory. It was victory as in the day when Midian was defeated. That's why there's joy, because there's victory. And the symbols of oppression and the symbols of slavery, the yoke and the rod, they're shattered. That's why there's joy, and that's where there's victory, because God brought it about. These are the benefits, guidance, joy, deliverance, and freedom. We find out the freedom that God's talking about here is lasting, It's going to be peace. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. The warrior's boots and his garments rolled in blood are not hung up in the locker for the next battle. They're thrown in the fire for fuel. Don't need them anymore. And if you don't need the boots and you don't need the, the uniform, you don't need the weapons because it's a time of peace. And you go on in the text and you find out this child is going to bring lasting 
peace. These are the benefits. The benefits of guidance, of joy, of freedom and deliverance, and lasting peace. Well, that gets you then to the third question. So, who or what is going to bring that kind of benefit into my life? That was the question of the day, and it's the surprise in the text. Now, it's not a surprise if you've been reading through the Bible, or you're now an astute um, student of the Bible because you've gone through cover to cover and you go, oh, I, I remember that. He promised Eve a son. He promised Abraham a son. He promised David a son who would reign forever and ever. That doesn't surprise us that it's a son if we've been reading the Bible. But believe you me, when you put the benefits next to the one who's going to bring these about, it's a big surprise. I mean, it's a big surprise that it's a child who will be born and given by God. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, children, for sure, bring us great joy. That, that infant that you bring home, man, is there joy. But freedom and peace? Uh-uh. You, you don't look over the, the, the crib and say, hey, son, man, I'm going through some really tough stuff. I need your counsel. We don't do that. It, it's a paradox. Yet this is who brings the promise. A child. But we understand it isn't just any child. He is this promised Savior. And when God made the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 14, he said, David, he's not only going to be your son, not not just one of your offspring, but he is actually going to be my son. He's going to be the son of the living God. He's not just any child. He is, as verses 6 and 7 tell us, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So we're going to walk through those titles, opening up a gift each week as we go through Advent. And today, it's that wonderful counselor. So let's look at that. All right, the word wonderful. It's the word that talks about something that's extraordinary. It's something that's incomprehensible. It's actually the closest that the Hebrew language gets to the word supernatural. This child is going to be that. Extraordinary. Mind-blowing. Supernatural. The form of this word is used in connection with describing the mighty acts of God. His God, his wonders, his miracles. It's what's describing God's judgment and deliverance when God's people were rescued out of Egypt. All those miracles. This is a miracle-working counselor who has supernatural counsel from heaven for us. He's wonderful. But you know what? We don't just get the counsel. It's not like God said, okay, here's some counsel. The gift is a counselor. It's a relationship. It's beautiful. This one who in chapter 7 is called Emmanuel, God with us. He comes with counsel. So as I've been thinking about it this week, here's how I've thought about it. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So he is the wisdom of God. That's what he's described as by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He is the wisdom of God. He doesn't just bring it, but he is it. And he gives it. He gives the wisdom of God And through his power, his wonder, miraculous power, he strengthens us then to live the wisdom of God. He is it. He gives it. 
And he strengthens us then to live wisely. The skill for living life in a God-honoring way. That's wonderful. Now, counselor. Counselor is a pretty ordinary word. It speaks for someone who gives advice or counsel. It's what Jethro said, Moses, you need this, man. Millions of people are coming to you for advice, and you're just one man. You've got to get a bunch of other counselors to help you. It's what all the kings wanted around them as they deliberated about the affairs of the kingdom, impending enemies and wars. They needed counselors, someone who gives advice or counsel. So Jesus is this supernatural, extraordinary, incomprehensible advisor, counselor. Okay, so how does that work? I mean, how, how has he been your wonderful counselor? This is who he is, not who he can be. How has he been your wonderful counselor if you are someone who follows Christ? Well, let me suggest this is how it works. The wonderful counselor uses his word. What is his word? Well, we read about it in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, that's all of God's word, Old Testament, New Testament, is God-breathed. Remember what God breathed into Adam's nostrils? It's life-giving. All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from him, it gives life, and it's useful. What's it useful for? For teaching. It tells us this is the way you ought to go. For rebuking. Hey, Mark, you're, you're getting off the track here. For correcting. Here's how you get back on for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God is adequately equipped for every good work that God calls us to. He does it through his word. So a few years ago, to give you an illustration of how God does this, my wife Lori found out that she had breast cancer. And her world and our world came crashing to a halt. And uh, fear gripped us all. And it was really, really hard. But the wonderful counselor was using his word. And it actually came in a kind of surprising place. It came, it, because it was at Christmas time, it came on a Christmas card that someone sent to us with the words from Luke, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. Fear not. God was giving his wonderful counsel that was a balm to my wife's trembling heart and to all of us don't be afraid god uses his word but god also uses his spirit and his spirit is called the counselor the comforter the one who's called alongside of us that goes through life the one who jesus promised would come and live in us and guide us and when you look at that promise of the spirit you find right back here in chapter 11 of Isaiah's prophecy. So turn over a couple pages and look at it. In verse 1 of chapter 11, he's describing the promised Messiah and using the metaphor, the picture of a shoot. You remember, you've ever caught off a tree and then saw a shoot grow up out of it? He says, this is the promised Messiah. He says, just like that, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse's David's father. From his roots, that is Jesse's roots, this branch will bear fruit. And then notice this about this promised Savior. This is the same one of chapter 9 who's the wonderful counselor. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of what? Wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
This is the Spirit of God that rested on Christ. It is Christ's Spirit that he promised to his followers. So, at the end of his earthly ministry, he said to his uh, followers these words in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Who is this counselor? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. How does it work that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? He uses his word and he uses his spirit that, get this, always works in tandem with God's word. So he leads us and he guides us. The way I think about it is my friend's uh, Magellan. Magellan is this GPS, it's really expensive aftermarket unit that you can plug in the ashtray into the, uh, into the, what is that thing called? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, thanks. Okay. You plug it in there and you stick it up on the dashboard and it talks to you. And uh, there Magellan had this, this wonderful woman's voice that had a, a British accent. You could actually choose the voice that you wanted. So they called, they called their Magellan Maggie. And, and Maggie would just help them find their way. You just punched in what you needed to do in terms of we're moving from home and we need to go to this place. And Maggie would tell you in a half a mile, in a quarter of a mile, at the next turn, turn right. And what I really liked about Maggie, because uh, I remember using this car once, was, I, you know, I blew it. I missed a turn. And she'd say something like, as soon as it is safe, make a U-turn. So I think about it like this, that here we have the Spirit of God in us using the Word of God to say, here's where you need to turn. Hey, as soon as it's safe, like right now, buddy, make a U-turn. You've lost your way. God uses His Word. God uses His Spirit. That's how Jesus becomes our wonderful counselor, through His Word, because the Word is about Christ. Through his spirit, because it is Christ's spirit in us. And through his people, the body of Christ, who come filled with the spirit and the knowledge of God's word, and they speak truth into our life. And whether they're speaking or not, their life lived out before us guides us. That's how it works. How doesn't it work? It doesn't work when I'm too busy, when I'm not quiet before God being still before him. It doesn't work when I'm not listening to God. I'm not reading his word and and I'm not talking to him. It doesn't work when I think I already know what I need to do. I got this figured out. Lord, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that need you right now. I'm okay. It doesn't work when I don't ask for his help. And it certainly doesn't work when I have heard what he wants me to do and I don't take his counsel. It doesn't work. So let's bring this home. Let's bring it home by asking three questions. The first is this. Do you have a wonderful counselor? I mean, right now, for the stuff in your life, are you going to Dr. Phil? Are you going to Oprah? Is it a friend? Are you going to God, his son, who knows all things, who knows you perfectly, and is always going to give you Perfect, true counsel.
Do you have a wonderful counselor? This one who is the light that broke into the darkness, the light of the world, who says, I'm the way. Here's the truth. And this is the way to God the Father. Let me ask you this. Do you see yourself in this story written, wow, almost 3,000 years ago? Do you see yourself in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9? Do you need that wonderful counselor? Are you someone who's going, wow, darkness? Yeah, that's my life right now. Gloom? Yeah. Depression? Yeah. Struggles? Hard things? Yeah. That's me. You find yourself going, Man, there's stuff in my life that's just got me. I want to get rid of this stuff in my life. I'm working hard to get. I've asked, I've paid a lot of money and read a lot of books and seen a lot of people, and I can't shake this stuff. I, I, I want to be delivered from this. I don't like it anymore. It's ruining my life. You need that? I think about all the things that people struggle with that are addicted to. You think about it in our day, and it's not new, it's nothing new. What are people addicted to? They're addicted to sex. They're addicted to money. Maybe they're gambling. Maybe they're just out of control in their spending habits. There's people that are addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to food. There's all kinds of stuff, and this stuff has us. And you're you're, here to I want to get this stuff out of my life. Peace. You just come out of Thanksgiving, you go, it was terrible. Every time I'm with my family, it's terrible. There's so much conflict. I don't even want to think about Christmas. You long for peace in these fractured relationships that once were so dear to you, and you know they should be dear now, but they're not. Peace in this world, we hear about all the unrest. Every day it seems like more war and strife. You're longing for peace. Well, let me say this. What you're longing for is this right here, the wonderful counselor. You know, when Ahaz was in maybe the same spot that you're at today, God said something really important to him, and he didn't follow this advice, but I hope you do. He said three things to him in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. He said, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Ahaz, be careful where you go for advice now in your trouble. Don't go to Assyria for help. Come to me. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right, but the end leads to death. Be careful where you go right today as you deal with the hard stuff in your life. God says, be careful. The second thing he says, be quiet. You are frantically running around trying to fix it. Just stop. Be still and know that I'm God. Turn off the radio. Turn off the noise in your life. Slow down. Reflect. Take a deep breath. Think about me. Be quiet. And don't be afraid. You know, the Bible's clear about this. God is not the author of your fear. Fear is from the enemy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. But a, he has given us a spirit of power, of love and self-control. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to your fears. So you need a wonderful counselor. You say, well, how do, how do I get that? 
How do I get him? Well, I can't give you a present and say, you open this and you've got him. The Bible says this, you believe in him and you have him. You place your faith that Jesus is the wonderful counselor that you need. And the Bible says you'll receive him and his spirit will live in you like that GPS system guiding you in this earth, guiding you to heaven itself. So let me ask one final question as we close. What do you want for Christmas? You know, kids always ask their dads, Dad, what do you, you know, I'm shopping. What do you need? What do you want? And we're not very creative, are we, dads? I mean, I got down to two things, slippers and something with the Badgers logo on it because I'm into the Badgers. Go Badgers. So I got five kids. I'm either going to get a lot of slippers or a lot of stuff with a Badger logo on it, right? Now, let me ask you this, and it just changes the whole answer. What do you really want for Christmas that money can't buy? Your kids can't afford it. Your closest loved one can't either. What do you want that money can't buy? Let me suggest to you, as you think through that this week, you're going to find out that this promised Savior, Isaiah 9, 6, is what you want. You want direction and guidance from this wonderful counselor. You need that unlimited power from this mighty God that will help you live life and break free from the stuff of life that holds you. You want the love and compassion and mercy of a father who eternally loves you. And you are looking for the lasting peace that comes from this Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us just what we need for Christmas. And so don't let pride keep anyone here this morning from receiving the indescribable gift of Christmas, your son, our wonderful counselor. And Lord, I would also pray that you wouldn't let the enemy's lies keep someone wallowing in their guilt so that they don't return back to the one who used to take their breath away. May we run to your son, the wonderful counselor. In his name we pray, amen. Verse 6 tells us that a son was born and a son was given. And the son that was given was given by his father. And the New Testament talks about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. So we're going to go to a time of remembering why Jesus was born. He was born to die, that we might live with him, for him, forever. And if this Jesus is the object of your hope, the object of your faith, you have a relationship with this one, the Son of God, through faith, then this meal is for you. The bread and the cup, they just take us back to why Jesus came. He came to die. 
And he told us to remember what he came to do by observing this meal together. And so it's called communion because it symbolizes how we have a relationship, communion with God. It's through the sacrificial death of his son. And if you know him, then this meal is for you. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come and they're going to pass the elements. They're stacked together, so take them both and hold those until we can partake of the elements together. Let's just quiet our hearts for just a few moments in silent prayer, meditation, confession, and then I'll pray. Lord, in Isaiah's prophecy, you said, though our sins are red as crimson, as scarlet, that you wash them white as snow. Thank you for the physical reminder, even this week, that you are forgiving God. Every snowfall, may it remind us of your grace to us. And Lord, we would just say it again. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord, for that which we've done this week that has dishonored you and saddened you and gone against your ways and your word. And restore in us, Lord, the joy of lives that are forgiven. Grant faith even for the first time to someone today to trust in your son as their savior. And Lord, grow us in our understanding of what you have given us in the indescribable gift of your son whose name we pray, amen.